Happy New Year. This is Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. My name is Ben Hilsinger, and speaking of Big Fat Snare Drum, if you don't already know, I work there, or here. If you've emailed or DM'd Big Fat Snare Drum in the last few years, it's either me or Chris, the owner and founder, on the other end. It really just depends on who gets there first. Anyways, I wanted to start off this new year by revisiting the very first episode of this podcast. At that point, we really had no idea what the podcast was going to become, and in a lot of ways I still don't, but there was a section of that episode where Chris talked about the story of Big Fat Snare Drum. I wanted to replay a clip from that, and then I have Chris back on the show afterwards to discuss how difficult this last year has been, and what he's done as a small business to keep the doors open. I'm calling it Big Fat Progress, because I really don't think this year was as much of a setback for us as it was a forced pivot. And after that, I asked Chris some of my favorite questions about his ethos on business in general, and just life. Chris is almost always right when it comes to what will resonate with people on a big scale, and it blows me away. I guarantee you'll take something away from this and enjoy my conversation with Chris. So the quick version of this story is that just touring a bunch as a drummer kind of got lazy. Didn't really want to start bringing a second, not bringing a second, bringing a snare drum with me uh, as part of my fly pack. So my fly pack was just consisting of just my cymbals, a logo kick head, bass drum head, and a Pelican that had, you know, some sticks, kick pedal, SPDS pad headphone amp, all that kind of stuff, but no snare drum because I just kind of got lazy. And I know how it goes when you start checking bags for flights, you know, once you get to bag 12, all of a sudden that snare drum costs, you know, 200 bucks to fly with each way. And it's crazy. So I just started basically cutting out old drum heads, doing that trick and getting backline snare drums. And it was, it was fine until I started playing outdoor venues. And, uh, one of the outdoor shows we played, the cut out snare head blew away it just blew right off the drum and half embarrassing half like okay the song now sounds totally different midway through the song because that head cut out blew off and i have no idea where it went so you probably look so stupid yeah i think i, I actually don't think i recovered from that also and i probably flubbed a fill or something stupid on top of that but i came home and i remember kind of going back to the drawing board and thinking to myself like okay there's got to be a way to make this idea work a little better and, you know, be more efficient and sound better and actually stay on the drum. And the other problem I was running into also, too, is if you just cut out an old drum head, it's a very quick shelf life on that. Uh, the head will start, you know, kind of buckling in the middle and then the, the sides flap up and it gets buzzy and just it's it's annoying to play and it looks terrible also. So came home and I kind of figured out like, OK, I'm going to go back to the drawing board, uh, get a piece of mylar again. And now I came up with the idea of the outer perimeter gasket. And so search for all kinds of materials, went up going to Home Depot and I bought rubber that you would use to go between sheetrock and your shower, kind of like a, a waterproof insulated rubber. So I bought some of that in a roll found it totally by accident behind like plexiglass or something weird at Home Depot. And I actually wound up cutting it myself. There was nobody around to cut it, cut it, came home, had some gorilla glue laying around and cut like a one inch, a one inch wide ring. That would be the, the perimeter um, gasket ring on the drum head. And I was like, Oh, okay, this is, this is great. It sound it sounds way better. Cause it's adding a little bit of weight to it. And now it has, um, it's rigid so that it actually stays flat. It doesn't start curling. And the best part about it is it won't blow off uh, while I'm playing shows or if I strike it, you know, strike it from the side, it's not going to just go flying off either. So came up with that and started, you know, started playing shows with that. And eventually it evolved to me putting a little thumb cut out into the head so you could take it on and off easy. So you can go from a, a pop song to a ballad song or, you know, an electronic sounding snare just to give you some options, you know, during the set or actually even within the same song. So that kind of happened, touring around a bunch, uh, playing in a band. Um, we were on tour in Europe opening for Ellie Golding. This is this is probably five, six, seven years ago. And uh, we did that tour and it was the same thing. I just didn't want to check a snare drum. And thank God I went over there with this handmade first, you know, big fat snare drum because the drum kit that I got, I, I play Gretsch drums, and the drums that I that I got on on the backline for the tour were these beautiful, renowned 
maple drums with a with a really gorgeous uh, like silver sparkle stain in them. It was it was actually a stain, not a wrap. It, it sounded they sounded amazing, but then they gave me a Catalina snare. Oh man, uh, with uh, probably the original heads from like you know 1997 on them. So it, it sounded terrible, but I had this you know handmade first version big fat snare drum and. It just made this, you know, 14 by five and a half snare drum sound like a 14 by eight and uh, just consistent. And, and the crazy thing is um, that that first show, Ellie, Ellie Golding's drummer, Joe Clegg, came up to me and saw saw this on the drum and immediately was like, what are you doing? What is this? I need to I need to see this before and after and just told him like I was making it for myself. And, you know, this was something I, I, I started using on tour just to, you know, had a, almost pure laziness and just to kind of, uh, you know, level the playing field, you know, no matter what snare drum I would get with a backline company, whether it was a, a super high end exotic wood DW or, you know, like an entry level Catalina Birch Gretsch snare drum, you could just make the drum sound good with this, with this thing that I came up with. So, and so he told, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Um, so was Joe the first drummer to kind of validate, this is actually something that could be something. He was, he was the first person that saw, like my full my fully realized prototype handmade version of this and he and he immediately said to me um if you ever make these for real i would love to have one shout out to and, joe way to go man yeah and i was like uh yeah okay sure but, you know I, I don't know anything about manufacturing or business or any any of that stuff and so kind of fast forward for a minute uh i went up coming back home from that tour and um scratching my head and, and like may, you know maybe this is something that uh you know, I could figure out. And I was quite busy at that time. I was playing drums a lot and I was actually teching a lot as well. I was drum and, and guitar and keyboard teching, just kind of busy touring around. And, um, while I was traveling around, I actually was in Los Angeles and, uh, showed this prototype to my buddy, Tim, who's a producer. And he said the same thing, uh, Tim Pagnata. He's, he's, uh, he's done all the neon trees records and, uh, walk the moon um just a really talented guy and i showed him this prototype and you know he would pick my brain when i would go visit him at his studio and say hey you know i'm having trouble with this drum give me you know give me some give me some tech tip to make this thing sound good and at the time that i was there he had a ludwig superphonic and he wanted to get a really low fat sound out of it and he, he was saying that if he lowered the tension rods to where he liked it the drum would kind of just slip out of tune and, and they they would be struggling to match the pitch of the drum between takes to try to get the snare drum to sound consistent, you know, through the editing process. So I said, OK, let's just let's crank up this drum, you know, let's get a, a decent tension on it. So you're not going to be you know, you're not going to be slipping. And then let's just throw this little prototype on there. And, and same thing. He said, you know, you, you got to figure this out. You got to make this a company. And and I'm like, I, I don't know what that means. I don't know how to start a company. I don't even know anything about manufacturing. And so I, I came as back. Hell, yeah. Oh, it's totally, it's, it's just, uh, it's just a completely foreign, foreign world. It's still a foreign world to me. I still feel like I learn something new every day and feel like I mess something up every day and then have to put out a fire. But the, um, came home from, from that trip. And I remember, um, uh, just sitting up in bed every night. My, my wife's an accountant and she was just my girlfriend back then, but she, she goes to bed, uh, pretty early cause she's up and out really early. So I clearly remember sitting in our, in our bedroom and just working on my iPad all night. It'd be two, three in the morning. She'd turn over and why are you still awake? And, you know, just researching like what mylar is and what drum heads are made out of and, uh, where, where I can source materials. And, and I had a form letter on that iPad that I wrote in notes and I would just eventually would just start copying and pasting and hitting up manufacturers. And I would get the same, the same thing over and over again, where people would say, Oh yeah, cool. We have that, we have that mylar in stock. No, we can't cut a circle for you. Or we have, we have the, you know, this kind of mylar in stock, but we can't order the one you're looking for. And just getting really frustrated. And, and it finally got to a point where, I just, I just was, oh, I almost gave up on it. I'm like, I just can't find anybody to do this. I, I know it sounds ridiculous. It's a piece of plastic that I'm looking to get made and cut into a circle. And, you know, I have the specs that I want. And then clearly remember one night just emailing a local factory. I live in Massachusetts and I went up emailing a local factory and got an email the next morning just saying like, yeah, how many do you need of these? We could do this for you and get it done in like two weeks. And so my factory is, uh, it's like 25 minutes from where I live. And uh, I wound up ordering 20 
was the the first the first round 20 prototypes that i had made and uh they i think i actually found the invoice not that long ago i think they wound up costing me like triple what they cost now because i just order them in in such bulk but i remember buying them and picking them up and you know the factory was super cool and they were really into it but there was always it was like this weird thing almost like they were like oh cool it was really nice doing this prototype for you like you know let us know if you need anything else yeah. kind of thinking like see you, you never. Know, we'll, ne- yeah. we'll never hear from this guy again like with the <laughs> you know this, you know they're like they're uh like a one and done. So, but anyway, I had these 20 prototypes and I just started getting them out to friends and uh, just getting some feedback. And, and the initial feedback on them was, eh, they're, they're actually a little too thick. They're too heavy. They're a little too big. They're like exactly 14 inches. So they're a little bit too big. Uh, but it was, it was cool. I was getting some really positive feedback from friends and some people were just like, it's perfect. And other people were, you know, oh, you should try this, try this, you know, blah, blah, blah. But so the story, the story goes, the way the company really uh, was born was there was two things. So initially I had the name Big Ass Snare Drums and I had a logo and everything. And the logo was like a donkey, donkey's <laughs> head, like busting through a drum head. And so the, the idea of that started off like probably 10 years ago where I wanted to start a snare drum company and uh, nothing ever came out. Uh, nothing came from that. It just I, I quickly realized that it's uh, it's a very difficult uh, company to you know to to do it on your own, and it's just the commitment and craftsmanship is just something that I, I couldn't do at the time. So I had this idea and I had the name, and then started throwing that around to people, and then a couple of people were like, "Yeah, that's a cool name, but you know, no stores are going to carry it, especially the mom and pop drum stores or even a guitar center or Sam Ash. They're not going to." touch your product because because the ass in there so uh, going back to tim funny enough is uh i i told him that name when uh when i showed him the prototype and you know i was like ah i was thinking this this could be the name for the company it sounds kind of cool and tim's like yeah, yeah yeah so checking back in with tim at some point we were just i guess we were hanging out or i spoke to him on the phone or something and he was like yeah you know has that has that big fat snare drum thing coming are you, are you doing anything with that and i was like yeah that's that's it that's i'm like tim you just accidentally named the company and uh that that was the name and then the other uh like real pivotal point in the company was uh getting a drum head to quest quest love that was the last prototype that i had that was number 20 of 20 oh Uh, wow yeah so i I work i worked for actually i still sort of work for her uh a singer songwriter uh, sarah borellis that's where i kind of cut my teeth on teching and uh, my little Facebook memory came up the other day, and that was uh, I started with her nine years ago, and and I think I've pretty much been there for like ninety five percent of her gigs, and uh, so she had a an acoustic performance on the Tonight Show that I couldn't do. Me and my wife were going on a cruise that we had booked, and uh, so I had a sub fill in for me. So I asked Sarah, I said Sarah, can you please just get this to Questlove? And I explained it to her, and she's like, Yeah, sure, whatever, whatever you want. So I. Give the, I give the drum head to Sarah to give to Quest, and uh, we go on the cruise, and we shut our phones off. And at this point, I own the domain. I own BigFatSnareDrum.com. It was just a landing page that just had info at BigFatSnareDrum.com with a coming soon. I don't think it even had a date on there. The plan was to come back home from the cruise, and we had the first 100 heads um, being printed while we were away. So go, go to the cruise. And uh, this is like before cruise ships, I guess you had the Wi-Fi or Wi-Fi was probably like $9,000 a day. So we shut our phones off. And like I said, we didn't even physically have the product in our hand. We just had those 20 prototypes made that were already gone. Uh, a website with just a landing page and an email address. And all the socials were just parked, like slash Big Fat Snare Drum on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just go on the cruise ship, do our thing, had a great time. We parked in Miami, turned my phone on. My wife turns her, her phone on. And uh, she's like, you, you might want to check that uh, that email address linked up to that that website. And I was like, I'm, okay, I don't even why. She's like, uh, I follow Questlove on Instagram, and and he posted he posted your your drumhead thing that you made, and it has like six thousand likes and like hundreds of comments of people freaking out what this thing is. So opened up the email address, and it was just you know just like freaking out. I had a actually assigned it to my phone it wasn't even wasn't even on my phone there was nothing uh, i had to go in and, and put it into mac mail and it was like hundreds of emails like i need this i saw this on quest's instagram i need this now i need this now and that was it that was the spark you know the story goes that 
we ordered those first 100 drum heads and it was pretty expensive to do and we thought we would sell like you know it would take us a year to sell that on like you know etsy or something and yeah. they were they were gone they were gone that first week my gosh so, so does does quest know that does he know that he's kind of the like does he has he heard this story before I don't know. That's actually a great question. I, I never thought about that. I don't know if he... I, I got to meet him for the first time maybe like three, four years ago at NAMM. He, um, funny enough, he texted Sarah and then Sarah texted me to ask where my booth was. And he purposely sought me out, which was amazing because the guy was promoting his Ludwig Brickby kit. And Oh, I'm yeah, sure that was, was a there. big year for him. Huge year for, the, for him. And I'm sure he was sitting at that table all day long just with the noise and just dealing with people all day and purposely came to come see me. And I've never seen an entourage like this in my life. There was like 150 people walking with him to my booth. And then he just walks in and I mean, it was, it was, it was amazing. I, you know, I don't really get nervous meeting too many drummers cause you know, I've been in the industry for such a long time and yeah. he was, he was a person where I definitely was a little freaked out by, but the sweetest man, he was thanking me, and I was like, "What are you kidding? Yeah, are you, are you kidding? You you took my my company that that probably would have sold you know ten of these a year to, you know, to a company that's now, you know, we're now in thirty five countries all over the world, and we have major international distribution, and we're in all the guitar centers and Sam Ash and Sweetwater and Musicians Friend and you know Forks and Portsmouth and you know all these amazing drum shops all over the world, so." my the like the thesis of that that i kind of gathered was it's so funny to me that this company that has now made you and i'll attest to this the hardest working guy i know the genesis of that was because you were too lazy <laughs> to to want to bring your snare drum so laziness now makes you a very hard worker laziness yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah it was just it was so my brain my brain so in my current band i basically production manage and tour manage it and I think part of the reason why this company came about is that I'm always trying to improve. I mean, if you could see this, our storage in, in Los Angeles, you would see, oh, God, I probably have 10 rack cases at this point. And I'm always like, how can I make it more efficient? How can I pack? How can I pack more efficiently? Less cases. Keep it under the 50 pounds. Keep it so that TSA won't break everything. So that's kind of how my brain works. And, and you know. From a flight standpoint of traveling with gear to how I pack the how I pack a van, how I pack a trailer, how I pack a semi truck, I'm always trying to just make it as efficient as possible, cost wise, weight wise, setup wise, tear down wise. So that's kind of also where it, where it came from too. I just didn't, you know, like I, I toured a bunch, like I said, with that Pelican, which I had exactly at 50 pounds. My cymbals, you know, they were like 30 something with the extra kick head in there, and I would start doing those tours with just a carry-on for my suitcase, and I figured out a pack. You know, I would go do Europe for a month and a half with a carry-on. So it was just all about efficiency, and I think by adding that snare drum in there, it just became one more thing to to schlep to the airport, and then one more thing to wait for at the conveyor belt. So I just kind of eliminated it, and yeah, that's just where this this like product came from of just not wanting to, you know, like I had it so my Pelican, my suitcase would go on top of the Pelican, and I'd wheel that. And then I have a simple case of wheels. I would just wheel through the airport. And then it's like, you had the snare drum in there, and it just gets awkward. And I couldn't figure out how to pack that Pelican under 50 pounds with that snare drum in there. So that was it. Done. And then this product just came out of, yeah, it came out of laziness and then just my obsession to just improve and to just keep things, you know, comfortable and, and flowing. So it's it's crazy to think. So the product started off. Uh, as one thing we had one skew we had just the original head which is our drum head that's the full coverage it, it covers the drum um completely covers the the batter head of a drum completely so it started off as one product and now i think on our website like i can actually give you a a, a real i can go to my skew list here i can because that's the benefit of being in front of your computer so my actual master skew list here so actual big fat snare drum skews we're at 72 right now at this point, you know, uh, we, we discussed before this started, I'm actually in the process of moving. So if I seem a little, a little spacey, that's because I've been taping boxes all day and, and knocking down my entire basement. But, uh, you know, in doing that, my, my workshop is at my house. It's still in my basement and, and knocking down everything today. I, I just, I found like tons of stuff too, where it's, 
projects that I have started or projects that I scrapped. And I'm like, some of the stuff I'm looking at, like, whoa, maybe I should revisit this or no, that was terrible. Or like, let me take this terrible thing and that terrible thing. And it might be cool together. Or so I definitely, uh, as frustrating as, as today was, you know, starting this pack, there was some beneficial moments, uh, from it. And, and I'm kind of like fired up and re-inspired to maybe make a couple of new things once, once we uh, get to our new house. So Hey y'all, I wanted to, (laughs) I can't say, I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. It's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston, actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his, his, you know, where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum. And it was, it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful. And he actually let me use it on an Eve 6 tour and I didn't keep it and I regretted it ever since then just because I was trying to pinch pennies at the time and I just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye all right I'm back with Chris Mazzarisi Thanks for being the show, my man. Thanks for having me. <clears throat> okay, I'm ready to go. <laughs> All right, so people just basically heard uh, a replay of the first episode, a little clip of that, and we kind of left it off where you were just moving into your new house and you were excited and things were chugging along and yay, 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 and then this year happened. So um, this pandemic has affected a lot of small businesses and... Uh, we've said this on the podcast before, but contrary to what most people think, Big Fat Snare Drum is still a small business. It's basically you, me, and a few of the other hardworking big fatties. But uh, do you remember the moment this last year when you were like, holy shit, this is this might be getting bad? Um, so we, we talk about this. I think we run the scenario probably on a weekly basis where... We both were at NAM, and we're trying to figure out the timeline of when COVID happened. And I think we both think we both, I think I said both too many times, but we both think we got COVID at NAM. And I kind of think not it's, to interrupt you, but do you say both or both? Both. I don't know. Both. Bag, I, I say both, and everyone makes fun of me because I'm from the Northwest. It's supposed to be both. Both. And I add an L, but I I, I couldn't tell. Well, um, I said anyways, both but... like seven times in that sentence, so you can you can figure <laughs> I'll out. I'll just cut one of them. Yeah, just cut one of them in there. Um, yeah, so I think we have that conversation talking about Nam and talking about getting COVID. Uh, I basically my time frame was, and Ben knows this; he's probably sick of me talking about it. But I went from Nam uh, in California, flew back home to Boston for a week to basically get the website up and running and all our stock and inventory good for my wife to ship while I went on tour with my band. So was home for a week, flew back to Los Angeles, rehearsed in Los Angeles for a week, and then proceeded to be on tour for six weeks throughout the country while COVID was exploding everywhere. Uh, It kind of seemed like COVID was following us from state to state to state. And we really didn't know what it was. Came back home March 11th and just didn't know what to make of it. kind of got worried thinking about you know everything that was going on for people and you know it's a weird thing because you don't want to you know 
you, you're worried about yourself, but I mean, there's people out there that are in way worse shape and people losing their jobs and, and getting sick and people dying. It's, it's horrendous. But I mean, I have a, a family and a mortgage and bills and was trying to figure out how to navigate all this. And, you know, at first, I guess the normal reaction is to be in kind of a denial state where you're like, oh, this is just going to blow over. I think every, everybody was like that. And then it started getting real, real, real quick. And, uh, in my head, I thought the first thing that was going to go was retail stores, which kind of did happen. So I think uh, I think everything in the business that I've done so far, I think the idea of pivoting and just constantly reassessing, I think that's um, not to toot my own horn, but I think that's a good quality of mine. And then not to be self-deprecating and crazy, but I also think it's a bad quality of mine that I'm constantly reassessing situations and I'm constantly trying to improve and maximize and just refine. I'm always doing that. And I think having that craziness kind of helped us stay afloat because I was just trying to think of, you know, it, it's like so cliche, but I was trying to think of like two steps ahead of what we were really doing. And but I think I was trying to really be like 10 steps ahead of what we were doing because you know, and thank God what I predicted was right, and we were able to to pivot into other other areas. And and I, you know, me and Ben have a conversation almost daily about this: what we could be doing better, and what outlet we can go go to. And I think, um, yeah, it was it was definitely scary. We definitely had about a four to six week period where sales just completely just plummeted. I, I know our our distributor just kind of stopped ordering and. Once I got on the phone with him, I quickly understood he's out of California, and California was one of the first places shut down, I guess, after New York. So he had nobody working, and even if he did have somebody working, there was no place to ship it to. Stores were shutting down, and, you know, trucks and transportation were used for essential goods and, you know, food and supplies, and so we had no place to ship, and then that kind of, that kind of, you know, went down the toilet, and then we kind of started seeing website sales slowly taper off to almost nothing and you know we started this business uh it's coming up on seven years now which is insane um but in seven years there's only been a handful of times where we've had a day where there's been zero sales on the website and during covid there was a couple of couple of nice stretches where there was just nothing nothing going on no visitors funny enough is our instagram and and facebook was doing some of the best numbers it ever has I guess because people were just home and you know trying to just figure this out um it's actually read an article today I was looking at it it's really sad just they're thinking that the the worst thing that's going to come out of COVID is just everybody just having extreme you know like mental anguish from all this stuff and it's it's terrible but um but yeah we we uh you know we figured out how to pivot we definitely relied more on our website um I started doing some uh, some some clearance sales stuff out of my house, stock that I've had in my basement for God knows how long. Anybody who bought this, sorry. <laughs> Anybody who bought yeah, that was so sad. Yeah, scratch means like dusty and old. Yeah, I no. mean, you know what? It's at the end of the day, it's like you're buying our drum heads. You're going to be smashing with a drumstick. You're buying it with a little dent in it, and I'm selling it to you for a discount. It does the same. No, exact that was thing. that was a one of the biggest pivots i think at the beginning was was you being able to go through back inventory and just making a really cool thing about that so people don't know the scratch and dent sale uh part of the website is like an ever-flowing thing because we only want to sell full price things that are basically perfect and pristine and there are some things with shipping and, and and whatever that they don't look like that so you can you can buy and it's like always check back on the scratch and dent because it's always something that you know, it's, it's, it's an, it's like a flowing river. So, yeah, I mean, most people don't know. And I mean, I had no idea about any of this stuff until I started going into manufacturing and friends of mine are in manufacturing. It doesn't matter if you get stuff made in the United States or China, or Taiwan or, or UK stuff has imperfections. So, and just being, uh, kind of nuts. I, I, I just can't, I can't with a good conscience, sell somebody something that looks weird or, you know, might, might, you know, a customer might get this and think it's used or you know damaged or so yeah we we have a, a i had a nice stockpile of heads just sitting in my house that just were doing nothing and yeah that was one of the first pivots that we figured out and then um we've been collecting email addresses for uh for six plus years and 
never did anything with it and Ben took on the project of starting a mailing list and which anybody who's listening uh, who runs a small business I'm sure you you know that's a great resource but if you're not using it it is a great resource it does really work so we were able to connect with our customers on a whole different level and um, we use Shopify as our platform and Shopify is incredible because you could sort customers uh, in a million different variants you know you could find people who've previously purchased from you before who purchased two times from you who spent x amount of dollars and you can offer them special discounts or special products you know so that was one of the other things we did i guess was the mailing list uh scratch and dent and then in the process of all this uh we started an amazon store mm-hmm. which has been incredible too ben ben uh took the reins on that we were selling to uh, a couple of third-party sellers on Amazon, and and they were they were selling for us, and we quickly realized that they're making too much money. <laughs> so way too much money. Way too much money for being amazing spreadsheet pushers. So we took the business. I should back. say that like they're much they're making way too much money because then it makes what I'm doing make it sound like it's super easy. I work really hard on Amazon, and they deserved every money they got. But um, but yeah, do, just but, cut out yeah. the middleman. Cut. We cut out the middleman, and that was another. Another way we pivoted, and, and um, you know, much like a lot of the drummers out there, I'm a tinkerer also, and um, during all this too, I was able to come out with a bunch of new products, and uh, I'm lucky enough to have, uh, I'm lucky enough to have my factory like nine and a half miles from where I live in Massachusetts. Um, everything everything on the website, uh, drumhead-wise, is all made in Massachusetts. Uh, even the quesadilla cloth heads are made in Massachusetts. So I was very fortunate to have my factory so close to my house, and um, even more fortunate that my factory actually makes a bunch of medical supplies. So they were never shut down through any of this. Mm. So I know that was a problem for a lot of companies: is the factories that they usually get product from, you know, China or Taiwan or even in the United States, that they were shut down to cope from COVID. And we were just we were definitely at a limited capacity at times because I think some of the employees there had family members that got ill or they got ill themselves so there was definitely some uh not not as uh not as much productivity going on there but at least they were open so we were lucky and uh definitely um through communication by emails and phone calls and text i was able to get some new products made which was way more difficult than the past because i usually uh, uh usually just go in there and spend you know two to three hours and walk around and touch material and try this material and try that material and you know, get stuff done that way. And it was just, you know, now it's, uh, I'm sending in hand-drawn ideas and scanning it to them and saying, figure this out for me. <laughs> so a little bit different, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's been, uh, it's been incredibly challenging, you know, even, um, even ordering stuff outside of the factory and outside of the products that are made in Massachusetts. It's just things like our boxes that we ship it, you know, ship the product in super back order. And, you know, you, you have to just, pivot and and figure out your forecasting a little bit better and a little bit different during these times too you got to anticipate you know you you can't let your boxes get down to 10 you got to maybe let them get down to you know 100 and then order just because it's going to take a month you know the last time i ordered boxes at the beginning i ordered boxes at the big like the very beginning of the pandemic because i was almost out and usually they're at my house within i don't know four or five days and it was like three weeks what would you say is the percentage of our sales that are done through distribution as opposed to the website? I actually know. I kind of know what the number is because I just did it. Um, it's about about a fifth of the sales are on the website. Yeah, that's what I'm. That's what I was thinking because when when Big Bang, who is our distributor, uh, when they went on pause for a bit, that was the that was the scariest thing. That was the scariest thing. Um, I mean for us it was the scariest thing for sure and then i just i've known those guys for i guess six and a half years now six years six yeah and i know it's it's a family-run business and i know they have a ton of employees and i just my heart went out for those guys too knowing that like california was in such a bad state at the time you know when are they going to get back to work and it's it's scary and i know how many i know how many drum companies and retail stores mom and pop stores you know, big box chain stores rely on them to get product. And if they were shut down, 
everybody was kind of screwed. So it was, yeah, it was, it was crazy, but we did actually pivot in a weird, in a couple of weird ways as well too. We, we took on some new countries and some new territories that we've never gone to before yep. China being one of them, which is, has been amazing for us. Uh, yeah, they're, they've been a really big champion, I guess, uh, Scandinavia, Scandinavia, like that region. Yeah. And Scandinavia. I, that's why I brought it up because when the distribution did shut down, we were, uh, you you took advantage of basically making uh, a really awesome just behind the scenes spreadsheet of all all the products that you could send because we had to kind of do that ourselves for a little bit, and I think that was one of the best things that happened this year is that now you have this sheet that you can you know with all the weights all everything on it that um, when need be it it just wasn't there before I think in the efficient way that it is right now oh yeah I mean the, I spent I think I spent one week going through all of our SKUs because I think at this point right now on the website we're pushing 200 plus SKUs um, so I had I had duplicate SKUs of products and just it was a disaster. It was a complete disaster. So it was a it was a really good project to to dive into. And and as I was, I remember the first day doing it, and I was just knew the undertaking, and I was just like, this is not a good idea to do this. It's going to make me insane. And uh, it, it proved to be something. Yeah, like exactly what you said. It proved to be something invaluable. And I don't know, I don't know if I'd ever have time ever again to do something like that. So I was kind of kind of thankful in a way to to just be like, yeah, I have a, a little bit of a pause here. Um, I mean, this is, this is not, a. I I mean, I don't, I don't want to come across as poor me because the business has been amazing for the last almost seven years, but there's never been, I've never actually had a downtime like we've had. It was in a weird way. It was kind of like that month and a half off of scary times was almost like a breath of fresh air in a lot of, a lot of weird ways. My daughter was just about to be born. We were getting our house ready. I just came off of touring for six weeks. And you and, were going to go right back on another tour and then a tour after that. I mean, yeah. I, I probably would be getting home. I probably would have gotten home in like the, you know, the fall or something, you know. And I would yeah, have been, no, you had gone. Ins, you had an insane summer ahead of you. It's, it's same with me, too. I mean, I was going to go on a, a seven-week tour with Eve Six. And we had a whole summer of shows. Going to go to Europe twice. And um, it's been nice to, uh, yeah, focus on Big Fat Snare Drum and how we could, you know, expand a little bit. But, um but yeah, I, I do want to ask, is there anything you would have done differently looking back on how you reacted to the whole thing? Um, I think one of my regrets is not having a better website at some points. I think our website, mm. I've been putting it off for years and years and years. Uh, I wish I would have a better website going into it. But I mean, it works. It's functional. It's just not, it's not pretty. That's all. It's not as pretty as it should be. I mean, were you ever afraid of having to close up shop? Was that ever an option? Um... Yeah, for sure. I mean, I definitely. This is the uh, uh, this is the first year in my life where I'm 100% relying on our business for my income. Mm-hmm. No other gigs. I mean, I I tour with my band. We're a new band. I don't make any money doing it. Um, the band is Winnetka Bowling League, by the way. And you guys check it out. It's actually funny enough. The intro for this podcast is the song Kangaroo from your band. Oh, so I should get some income then. Okay. Uh, moving on. Yes. Um, so, right. yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're a new band. Um, so whatever, whatever money is being made, we're just sinking back into it. Um, so yeah, this was the first year that I was purely, uh, just big fat syndrome income, which was scary to begin with. And then on top of it, there's a pandemic. Um, <laughs> nice my, timing, bro. <laughs> I know. Well, my wife makes a bunch of money. So I have a sugar mama is my safety net. So that's okay. I'm okay. She um, makes the money and she also does the work for Big Fat Snare Drum when you're on tour. You you does. picked a good one, dude. She's she's a wonder woman. I think my free labor has probably ended though now that our daughter do- <laughs> our daughter's here. I think she probably won't be doing it anymore. So She's like, "Oh, you're cute, but uh, yeah. no way." Next time, so I, I will do a, I'll do a big announcement before I go on tour next time. Be like, "This is the Last time you can order heads for the next six months. <laughs> <laughs> I know because you live in Boston area. I'm from L.A. So I, I, I tell you all the time, I wish I could be physically closer to you so I could help you with that. But unfortunately, I can't help you. I mean, basically this year, and I, I labeled this the episode Big Fat Progress because I think in a lot of ways, it wasn't really a setback. This year wasn't a setback. It was a way to reevaluate things. And like you and me were doing a lot of things. And I won't talk about specifics that it's like, is this actually 
becoming dollars or is this just something you know that we just go through the motions and i've been thinking about that a lot with big fat snare drum of things that we do is it actually is it actually turning into profit so if this has been a really good year in a lot of ways but i do want to talk about just your ethos as a business owner because um and i i actually told you this very recently and yes it might have been because you just gave me a christmas bonus but i do look up to you in so many ways as a businessman as a friend and most recently as a family man but i wanted to ask you some questions just related to business in general sure. and i have no shame in admitting that i lifted these from tim ferriss's book tribe of mentors where he asked uh the same questions to the most successful people in the world and they all answered in a, in a in a different way so i want to extend these questions to you all right so if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it and i'm talking more so with you in kind of a business standpoint metaphorically speaking getting a message out to millions of people what would it say and 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 why oh wow that's a good question um i think uh I think the first location I think would be probably in Nashville, crazy enough, I would say, because okay. Nash Nashville was kind of the birth of this whole company in a weird way. They kind of, they took us under their wing and adopted us. And I think the cool thing about, I mean, I, I love LA, I love New York and the music scenes are Austin. The music scenes are all great. They're Chicago. But I think Nashville holds a special place in my heart because there's so many different kinds of music down there from the country to pop to, you know, there's all the LA songwriters are moving to Nashville now. Mm -hmm. I think that'd be the spot to to definitely have my billboard. Um, yeah, I, th I think it would be something like in, in my head a billboard would just be it'd be a white a white billboard with just like our website on it, and that's it. <laughs> that's that's all it would be. Just be like, figure it out. Like it would just say like. I love that. I love that. A lot of people are like, you know, just keep trying. You you, you just have our website on it. That's my favorite answer I've ever heard. Be like scope this just with an arrow in the website. That's it. I don't know. <laughs> no, that's my favorite answer I've ever heard. That's awesome. Um, all right. So, um, how has a failure or apparent failure set you up for later success? And do you have a favorite failure? I think. Well, huh, that's an interesting one. Well, the way I've done the business every step of the way is I've never gone out and I've never spent an exorbitant amount of an exorbitant amount of money to do anything. It's always been like little like little piles of money to just try things and see what works, just kind of like spread spread it around. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's never been like a specific instance of the company where I've just completely failed and and you know, thank God. Um, I think early, well early on I know I definitely know something that that happened to us early on. So originally the the first version of the drum heads were mylar with these like really like rubberized gaskets around it. And I had the idea to start mailing to roll I was rolling the drum heads and then mailing them in um rectangular postal tubes, like long postal tubes, long postal tubes, I can say that. And it was great. Like I'd roll them a certain way and they would be fine. Like you'd on, you'd take them out of the tube and they would lay flat. And then the summer hit and those postal tubes, <sighs> postal <laughs> tubes. Is that a, is that a word that people can't say? Postal tubes. Um, they would, I guess they postal would sit on tubes. I guess, well, maybe it's cause I say both. I'm Bo just so used to that L that hard L. So postal tubes, postal. Although I tubes. sound like I'm a, living in Venice going to the postal tube. Um, yeah. So I guess they were sitting in the back of mail trucks and on people's front stoops and the drum heads started melting. So they started <laughs> melting like in that shape. So they would they would be like almost like a, a Taco Bell seven layer burrito. And I would get emails from people being like, This this thing is really rad, but how do I get it to stay flat? Like I've had seventy five pounds of books on it for like a week and it's still not staying flat. So that was one of the things where I remember, like, uh, I got to start replacing these things. And it was also, it was a pivot. It was a, it was a good pivot for us, too, because then I wound up replacing the rubber with some thinner rubber. And then eventually we went to a vinyl a vinyl perimeter gasket. So it just kind of jump-started that mistake of wrapping it incorrectly and using that material that was sensitive to, to heat and weather kind of propelled um, the modern version of the head, which sounds better, um, 
is actually cheaper to make. And uh, it, it's all it's all <laughs> nice. done in the factory. It's all done in the factory too. So the rubber the rubber gaskets that we did back in the day, I was actually assembling them all by hand, and it was miserable, miserable. Oh man! And you actually yeah. have to do it in two pieces too. If anyone has seen the original, it was two pieces because um, it's called. Uh, so before I started this company, I knew nothing about manufacturing. So that process is called nesting. So instead of just taking one, one you know, 15-inch sheet of square rubber and, and chunking out a round rubber ring that's one inch, one inch uh, diameter, one inch uh, a perimeter, one inch perimeter on the ring, and then leaving all that excess waste, they do nesting. So it's almost like rainbows. So that's how they mm, they would stamp yeah. out the parts. So you would definitely get more. It's called a yield. So you get more yield out of the part. So that's something I had to learn. So they had to nest it. So it was way cheap, way, way, way cheaper to nest the part than just give me one, you know, one ring out of a, a 15 by 15 square, you know. So, yeah, that was, I'm trying to think of anything else that I've done that's pretty dumb through the years. I mean, I've definitely ordered, like, wrong size boxes and spent some money doing that and, mis, you know, miscalculating just stupid stuff, you know not not yeah, sleeping i don't and, think you know. i mean getting to know you that i don't think there really has been a big blunder um that has kind of set you back which is i mean a, a, a testament to how cautious you are but it's weird because you are so not precious with a lot of things um but when it comes to things that you really you know throw your money at you are really precious about that which is again another reason why you know you're a good mentor but um Moving on to the next one, it's kind of on. It's it's a good little bridge. Um, what is one of the best and most worthwhile investments you've ever made? And it could be an investment of money, time, energy, or etc. Or etc. etc. Excedrin. I got a headache. Yeah, have this you ever big. bought Excedrin? Yeah. No, I don't. I don't really take anything. Like I have to. I I have to have like a massive, massive headache to take even Tylenol. I don't. Maybe maybe like once a year I'll take anything. Never. Uh. Well, the, we just lost our Tylenol. Sp- <laughs> Jeez, I can't even say the joke. We just lost our Tylenol sponsor. Oh, so thanks, dude. Tylenol. Um, <laughs> the one thing that I did buy that uh, that took me it took me about six months to research it, and I have this. Um, nobody actually knows what it looks like. I don't. I don't take. There's no photos of it on our website. Um, if I have anybody over my house and they want to take pictures of my shop or take pictures in our actual shop in New Hampshire, I don't let anybody take pictures of this one specific piece of machinery that I own. I researched the crap out of it. Turns out that there's one family. I'm not even going to say where they're from because I don't want to give anybody even a hint of where I got this thing from. It's it's in uh, it's on the East Coast. Let's put it that way. East Coast. So I don't even know what you're talking. This is awesome. This is, you're so secretive about it. This is I'll, great. I'll, sh- I'll show you after we get off the phone. But the uh, I'll share it to our show notes. Okay. Yeah. Um, you'll send a direct link with a coupon with a coupon code. The uh, it's a, so it's a yeah it's a river machine that I that I found. There's one family that sells it on the East Coast and uh, or is it? No, it no it is. I'll I'll say that oh, much. It's right. it's actually it's actually a refurbished machine from like 1980. And the cool thing about these machines is. The, the family that I purchased it from, they, they own like a rivet company, but they said that this specific machine was probably used to do, um, you know, make jeans or make belts. And they're like, if you if you maintain this machine, it'll last a hundred years. So anyway, I drove, I drove, uh, I think about twelve hours that day back and forth to get this machine and threw it in my car because I went down to to this place and they they trained me how to use it, and then I brought it home. And then I started using it in my house. And uh, the crazy thing is the business started doing so well, I needed to purchase a second machine. So I did the same thing again. I drove back down, picked up another one. And uh, the owner of the company, I, I, I order rivets from them about once a year. I, I do like a large purchase of rivets. And the owner told me he's never really seen anybody come back for a second one. He said usually he just people buy this and they never see them ever again. So, But we were doing really well. And this, this, this machine is kind of like my secret sauce and... It's it's really cool, and I think that um, the process that I started making our our tambourine drum heads before I had this machine was the craziest. It was the craziest thing I've ever done. It, it just was everything was done with a epoxy glue and a, like a ball peen hammer and these in, these rivets that I got from Canada, which were a pain in the neck to get. Also, it was a two piece hammer rivet. I had to hammer them together. 
and then I would epoxy glue them and had to let them dry. It was this whole process. So once I got this machine, it streamlined my life and it just, it was, and because of that one machine, so many other products came out of it. Um, what is an unusual habit or an absurd thing that you love? I started doing this thing at night now because I, because so I'll give you, um, a little bit of what my, my day looks like. So my wife, she works from home, obviously, from what's going on with all the stuff. She's been very fortunate to work at home. Um, so our daughter usually gets up around anywhere from 7 o'clock to 9, depending on if she comes and sleeps in bed with us. And So I'm usually – I watch her during the day. Um, and then I go to work at night. I work from usually like 9 o'clock at night to sometimes 2 in the morning. Which I do want to interrupt you real quick. You do, you ship everything from the website, basically, you do it yourself. So yes. <laughs> I'm going I'm to defend you a little bit. If anyone's listening and you guys get a little little lippy on those emails about things, Chris is the hardest working guy and everything comes, he literally packages everything from the website. So give him a little slack. Um, anyways, continue. And everything's uh, everything's built to order. It's all fresh. Fresh, uh, yeah, I call it like Taco Bell here. It's all made to order. Yeah, the, the vinyl is steaming when it gets to your door. Yeah, and I think that's actually what they serve at Taco Bell, too, is vinyl. Again, we, we lost, lost the Taco Bell sponsor. sponsor. lost the sponsor. <laughs> Jesus. Damn it, Chris. I was, I was hoping for free chalupas. Um, yeah, so my, my new weird thing at night is I just, uh, I, like, sneak upstairs, and I, my wife's going to kill me if she hears this, but I just, I, like, snack like crazy. i just been, like, snacking on really weird things at night. That's, like, my new obsession. And I, I just, I've been trying to like drink like a lot of like water and salsa while I'm, while I'm working. And I do uh, like comedy podcasts at night. So I think like that whole package is like my new obsession of like XM comedy shows, salsa. I have a refrigerator in my, in my basement and I just like, I have my own little section of like salsa down here. Salsa, like Belvita cookies. And then I. Oh, the, nice choice. Yeah, they're great. And then I'll go upstairs and get some like almonds and then, you know, whatever, like a handful of chocolate chips or whatever I can find. <laughs> I don't know. Just like I'm, I'm disgusting. Like, yeah, I'm really bad. Like I'm the person who'll open up the fridge and just be like, oh, cool. I'm going to have some like carrots and hummus and then I'll have like six cookies and then go and then have some almonds and then go back upstairs and, you know, eat like some Doritos or like whatever, you know, and then the, the bag eventually ends up downstairs. So, yeah. <laughs> That's my that's my new obsession, I guess. Well, uh, again, uh, to echo what I said earlier, you deserve it. Um, few more, and then we can we can call it quits because I know. Uh, speaking of, you have a lot of work to do. But in the last five years, what new be? Uh, <laughs> I guess this is kind of you can say the same answer. In the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Um, you know what I had to learn, f it, like doing this company, is um. I think I get like I definitely get my work ethic from my parents. My parents are both like insanely hardworking people. Um, I think when I first started first started this company and the company started getting really successful and, and really started taking a lot of my time is just knowing when to, to to like to clock out. You know, like like owning a company. Most people don't tell you. I was actually making this joke the, the other night with my my in laws because we were talking about how. Um, you know, like this, the ski season up in Massachusetts right now is, is starting up and it's like a great activity to do, especially with, you know, COVID and stuff. Cause you could be socially distanced outside. And, and I told my father-in-law, I was like, remember when I started this company and the one thing I was really excited about was like, I'm my own boss and I can go snowboarding whenever I want. And I mean, I didn't go at all last year. I was so busy. Yeah. But the, the one thing that I learned, it's like the work, the work is, en is, is endless. Like you could just keep, you could work. 24 hours a day and you could still not be caught up on things and uh like i had a i had actually like physically like learn when it's time to stop and i think what i started doing um because i was i was just like working like a psycho and just not like never stopping and i think a habit of mine that i started and it's probably about maybe it was maybe like a year or two years into the company is is like i would do a hard stop when it's time to cook dinner that's it. Like I would just focus. My, my phone would be away from me. I wouldn't be checking emails or Instagram or text messages. I actually really started enjoying cooking because it just kind of tunes the world out. 
and it's like a yeah. hard stop. Like I'm cooking now. I'm gonna sit down and have dinner with my wife, who was just just my girlfriend at the time, probably. But yeah, I guess she was. And uh, yeah, we're just gonna eat dinner on the couch. We're gonna watch TV. We're just gonna veg out. And then if I have work to do later on, I I you know I'll do it. But there was that like hard stop and kind of taking your brain out of that mode because if if you don't if you don't make that hard stop you could just go down that rabbit hole and just it just never ends so you have to, you have to i know. do that right now i i need to get better at that because with instagram with emails especially with instagram because we try and i mean if you if you reach out to us we're like within an hour we're usually getting back to you and it's it's really hard uh i hate little red notifications i hate that and I just, I always want those to go away. So I want to talk to people and, 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 uh, yeah, it's, it's tough. I, I, I need to work on that for sure. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Cause I remember, um, before I started the company, my, my brother is a producer and a, and a writer and a performer. And I remember him like pulling these crazy hours and crazy, you know, and, and crazy sessions. Uh, and I would always, I would give him this advice. And then I finally started taking it at some point my, my own advice, where he would just work and then he would get so burnt from working that it would just be completely unproductive. So it's like, mm. if you stop and reset the batteries and you know, physically and also mentally, if you reset your, your mental batteries, I don't know if that's like a thing, but I think you're, you become Patented. more productive. Yeah, mental batteries, I think Tesla sells those. But, the, oh, um, but y- you become more productive. It's actually like, like the, 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 the theory that I gave him is like, if you're gonna work 10 hours straight and like, you know, from, the last two hours from hour eight to hour 10 you're so burnt and, and just you're going to produce crap you might as well just go you know do something else and then come back to it the next day and just not be exhausted the next day i mean diminished returns it's it's a real thing and it's it sucks because i deal with that a lot too because i'm if i'm working i feel like i'm being productive and like busy is not the same as being productive and definitely you know, like recording and stuff, there's been some of the most, uh, the biggest breakthroughs I've had is the day I take, like if we're recording a record and we take a night off and go have some drinks and go play some pool, sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll land on an idea or a lyric or a, or an arrangement for a song or an intro idea, but we're just totally not stressed about it and just kind of, kind of shooting the shit and in a good mood. Sometimes that's when the biggest breakthroughs happen is when you take a day off you know yeah it's it's uh yeah it's just it's refreshing yourself um it, it's it's a real thing and i know i used to work at um i used to work at sir the studio instrument rental place in in los angeles and i used to work with this guy this guy mark he was a super character he would like roller skate to work on like old school roller skates like i guess he lived close to the to the headquarters or whatever in uh in hollywood and um like I used to work with him. Like one of the things I would do when when I first started working there is we would just we would load vans full of gear and deliver gear and set gear up and pick gear up and like when I would work with this dude, I the, my first impression of him was like this guy is just like so lazy. He's just not like not lazy. I shouldn't say he's lazy. He 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 worked hard, but but that was your first impression at least, yeah. Kind of, but and then he he kept like he kept like trying to tell me this this like piece of information and it kind of stuck with me. And he's just like work smart not hard and he always would say that and then like i kind of started seeing the stuff he would do where he would just as an example he would take out like a light like a light road case he'd put that on the ground and then he would take like the big heavy ampeg 8x10 base cabinet and slide it out of the van onto the onto the road case so he wouldn't have to lift it to the ground and then he would wheel that entire thing into the venue you know Mm. and then like tip the entire thing over so he's just not he's not using his back he's using you know, uh, I guess like stuff is like fulcrums and, you know, and wedges and all, and all that kind of stuff. He's like, the guy's like using physics with road cases and that kind of stuck in my, in my head too. It's like work, work smart, not hard. You know, like there's definitely things on my computer. You can, you can have the computer take care of a lot of crap instead of, you know, like we were talking about before the, uh, you know, spending all that time in Excel. My wife is a, is a whiz at, at Excel formulas. So now all of our Excel spreadsheets are doing all these crazy background formulas on things, and I'm not sitting there with a calculator adding up, you know, all this all this insanity. Just an example of uh, like the work, you know, work smart, not hard. Is last year, um, you know, we have to do inventory as a company. We have to show, 
to the government what we have left over <laughs> in our shops. And uh, every year would just be a complete disaster. Uh, you know, I would I would do all these counts, and then I'd have to go in and figure out like what our actual inventory cost was and you know what last year i was tired of it and we made this fully automated spreadsheet spreadsheet gets mailed to our our shop in new hampshire i do an inventory here and everything is a line item and at the end it just goes boom total there you go thank you that gets emailed right to my accountant have a nice day I used to think, well, you know, you, you got to burn the midnight oil because, like, you know, if the most successful people in the world are working 23 hours a day, and that's the only way you're going to be successful. And I've really realized some of the people that I look up to the most, um, you including, know when to clock off and, 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 and are very aware of the diminished returns. So I 100% agree with that. Um, yeah. Uh, last, last question. And uh, this is this is the one that I I'm very curious about, and we we've talked about this a little bit because we're there's a lot of people that don't know what they're doing uh, in the industry. But what are bad recommendations you hear uh, in your profession or area of expertise? Bad recommendations? Yeah, like people along the way have been like, "Hey, Chris, if you want to make big fat snare drum the biggest thing since sliced bread, uh, you got to do this." And what have you said? Cool, and then done the exact opposite. Um, I definitely know how to answer that question. Uh, I just got to be careful about not insulting friends that have given me advice through the years. Call uh, them all. <laughs> I guess no, I should. I was just thinking of a name, but we actually know someone named that I'm, you probably aren't going to reference, but I want them to think that. Mm, um, yes. Uh, yeah. I will definitely cut that part out. <laughs> <laughs> you should, no, you should just you should just you should keep that in and just bleep the name. I should. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd actually be uh, funnier. Yeah. You know what? Um, you actually mentioned this before, and um, my buddy Tim, who actually I talk about on the previous podcast, Tim Pagnata, who's a producer and he was in a lot of cool bands. He always told me to to keep the Cobain factor of the band of the band, the Cobain factor of the company, like the Kurt Cobain factor, to always keep things cool and like just like kind of reassess and, and make sure things are tasteful. And I, and I do think that there's like a certain, there's a certain like punk rock ish DIY vibe to the company that I've always tried to maintain. Um, and I've had friends through the years, uh, you know, who've, who've definitely have gone to school for marketing and, you know, have their MBA and, and their, their business people that they, you know, you're supposed to do things like this, this, and this, and this is, you, you, you advertise in this, and you, you take out keywords, you know, you take out keyword stuff on this website, and, you know, you do this, and I'm like, okay, cool, that, that might work for you in the corporate world, but for me, that's, I know my audience, I know what I got to do, and that's just not going to work for me, so I definitely have gotten, I wouldn't say it was bad advice, but I think, it wasn't applicable to what I needed to do, and I think it, I think it could have been a little bit of luck on my part, or just kind of being a little bit cheap, as well. Excuse me, my dinner's like coming up on me. Gross. Um, <laughs> it could have been me being a little bit cheap and not wanting to spend money on things that I that I didn't think was necessary. So I kind of took my own, for lack of a better term, like punk rock route on things, and just I did things that made sense to me, being a drummer and being in the industry for so long you know how i'd want things presented to me mm -hmm. and, and you know I, I i didn't want i don't want the company to like you know show up on searches when somebody typed in like snare drum and then they're like what the hell is this thing on the side panel like i don't i'm not gonna whatever i mean i tried it i didn't spend a lot of money i tried it and i and i saw the return was not very successful um there was definitely, um, you know, like I was told also very early on that like you advertise in these specific, you know, magazines or trades. I'm not going to, whatever, I don't want to be, I don't want to be too specific, but you know, and I did it, I did a small, a small investment to see. And the crazy thing is I spent, I spent money on a couple of ads in this magazine slash trade. I don't want to say what it is. And, uh, that was God, six plus years ago with a unique coupon code keep in mind in this in this in this uh, publication and to this day i've still not gotten a single sale because of that mm. with that coupon code so you know you're kind of you're kind of told like this is the this is the road map of what you're supposed to do with a company but i i mean i don't 
I, I kind of, I, you know, I did go to college, and uh, but I kind of think like the college way of starting a business is not really realistic in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. You know, if you know your industry and you know what, what works, do what you got to do. No, and I talk about this in the intro, but you really do have an uncanny way of knowing what will resonate with people on a big scale. And it's, I mean, you and me have different ideas sometimes about the way we should do things. And you're always right when it comes to this stuff. I mean, you have a weird way of, I mean, I, I just kind of relinquish to you and I, I trust you because it's, it's tried and true. It's been proved many, many times over <laughs> that you just have this weird skill to know what will resonate. Well, I mean, thank you. But I mean, that's not necessarily a hundred percent either. Cause I, I mean, actually in our, in our zoom thing right now, there's definitely some products right behind me. I'm not going to say what they are that I thought would be a home run. And people are just like, what? <laughs> well, I'm not saying, you don't. Know, you swing and a miss, but it's like a lot of times just your, uh, approach on things is like, is, is, is the way to go about it. Most of your products suck. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like, <laughs> I mean, like most of them. Yeah. Yeah. Like most of them. That was another cool thing when you were going through that kind of, uh, during this this pandemic the, at the beginning that created the scratch and dent sale you were talking about going through all the ideas that you like started on for a night and then shelved and hadn't thought about in five years and you're like oh my god I remember when I was working on that and thought it was going to be the next thing and you know yeah I mean that's that's part of it too and that goes back to what I was saying about just go like small investments you know I, I know I know people you know in the drum industry and I know people just in business in general who like have this well there's like this whole thing of like i'm gonna create a problem to then solve a problem that never existed and then i'm gonna blow like my life savings and fill my family room full of product on shelves and like nobody cares like you know i mean if you, if you want to start a business and figure it out cool like don't don't order like twenty thousand pieces you know like order like 20 and see if it works you nailed it. A lot of people are making, are creating problems that didn't exist and making products for those non-existent problems. It's, it's so true. Yeah. I mean, during this also, uh, you know, there was a couple of, couple of ideas that popped in my head that I was going to try to do. And then just the idea of starting over again, I'm like, eh, I'm good. <laughs> it's a lot. Uh, yeah. Well, that, uh, I think we've, we've run into a good way or a good time to stop. But uh, where can people find you? I'm kidding. <laughs> thanks for being on the show. And uh, thanks for being a good boss and a good friend. Of and, course. Uh, yeah, here's to, here's to 2021. Mm, can you play this, since it was Tim Ferriss, can you play Save Ferris coming out of this? Are we going to get in any kind of a ASCAP no. issue? Hell no. All right. Um, perfect. I'll, I'll, I'll play Save Ferris on the way out. And have a great day. You too. Thank you.